You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that goiters, or enlarged thyroid glands in your neck, are a really common symptom of Hashimoto's disease. But in the late 1800s and early 1900s, a guy named Rattlesnake Pete used to treat goiters by wrapping snakes around patients' throats, letting the snake constrict and shrink the goiter. And he claimed that about 85% of patients were cured with that method. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. This is Bulletproof Radio, and you're listening to Dave Asprey. And today's guest is here to talk about something related, which would be Hashimoto's. And before you say, what the heck is Hashimoto's? Hashimoto's is a thyroid condition that affects about 20% of us, and it totally reduces your performance. So if you don't have it or don't know you have it, the odds are that someone in your life does and may not know it. That's why you're going to get something really interesting out of this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Isabella Wentz. She's a clinical pharmacist, and she got her Doctor of Pharmacy degree at the age of 23. 
So she's one of those uber bright people. And I've had the good fortune of spending some time in person with her and getting to know all the things she knows. She also was diagnosed with Hashimoto's herself and decided that she could hack that problem. She's written a book about it, and she's summarized three years of research and two years of testing into that book, and it's very, very worth your time if you have any sort of symptoms of thyroid. Isabella, welcome to the show. Hi, Dave. How are you? Very, very well. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on, especially because you are calling in from Amsterdam. Yes, I am. So it's 8 o'clock right now, and um, it's still light out, which is really cool. Now, I heard they changed all the pot and mushroom laws in Amsterdam. Is that true? So they were trying to change the pot laws, and you can still get pot here at coffee shops, so don't worry about that. But the mushrooms are going to be a little bit harder to get. Oh, that's too bad. The first time I ever tried mushrooms was in Amsterdam, uh, and I enjoyed them, to be perfectly honest. Oh, well, the more things change, the more they stay the same. (laughs) Why did you become a pharmacist? You know, I was really, really fascinated with chemistry and how a tiny little substance that weighs micrograms or milligrams could really make a profound impact on a person who weighed 200 pounds. So you can have, take one little pill and that could increase your heart rate, that could drop your blood pressure. You could take something like LSD and that can totally shift your mind and make you hallucinate. And to me, that was just really fascinating. So, and um, the other thing is I, I wanted to find a cure for something and I really wanted to uh, synthesize a new drug and, and really, you know, help people. Wow. So at, at a relatively young age, like I want to make a new drug. That's, that's remarkably cool. I remember when I was about oh, nine, I'd go into the backyard and I'd mix all these different like plant pieces in water and grind them up and be like, maybe that's a new drug, but I have no idea how to test it because the idea of the drug discovery process was, you know, it's foreign to you when you're a kid. So I've always thought that'd be amazing, but to go through all of the work in university to, to study that as, as a goal, I think is really admirable and super cool. Thank you. You know, it's actually just like that. You just take some plants and you mash them together and that's how, <laughs> how drugs are made. I remember thinking I could give some to a cat, but the cat could get hurt. So I wouldn't do that. And I'm like, I guess there goes the extent of my clinical pharmacology experience. <laughs> it was when I was nine. on mice first. <laughs> that's true. And then you can have the cats eat the mice. It's like part of the virtual circle environmental. There you go. <laughs> one of the things that you talk about in your book and one of the things that is particularly interesting is you talk about a whole systems approach. And as a, a biohacker, someone who looks at the system of the human body, that's really of interest. So people listening to the show, most of whom are probably driving right now if they're not watching on YouTube or on iTunes, they're familiar with the idea of biohacking. What's your take on a whole systems approach to dealing with the human body? Well, you know, you go to your left-hand doctor and your right-hand doctor in most cases and and that, you know, people will go to an endocrinologist for their thyroid and then they'll have, um, they'll have acid reflux, which is a really, really common condition with pe- in people in Hashimoto's. And then they'll go to a doctor for that. And then they'll have depression and they'll be sent to a psychiatrist and they'll get prescribed a ton of different drugs. And this is something that I used to see as a pharmacist where, you know, you take one drug for this condition and then it causes a side effect. So then you end up going to a different doctor for that side effect and then you get a new drug for that. And, you know, and that's really looking at each, each body part as though it was itself, as though it was by itself in a vacuum. And and that's not how the human body works. So, so it's all connected. And, 
you know, when I really wanted to, when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I, I really wanted to figure out why my thyroid was not working. It wasn't just, I wasn't happy with just taking a pill and saying, okay, you're not making thyroid hormone, here's thyroid hormone, that's the end of the study. So I'm a big proponent of looking at the whole body. Isabella, when you had Hashimoto's disease, or I suppose you could say you still have it, how did you know? Like, what, were, what did you experience? What did you feel? You know, I didn't know that I had it for probably about a decade. I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I was just really, really tired. So I was sleeping for maybe 12, 13 hours a night. Um, eventually, my hair started falling out. So I lost probably a third of my hair. I was getting really, really anxious. And it would be really ridiculous. I would be doing, you know, everyday things and I would just be hit with these awful panic attacks. My husband would go out jogging and he'd say I'd be back in 15 minutes and, you know, 16 minutes would pass by and I would say, oh my goodness, he must have gotten in a, in a you know, hit by a car or maybe he met another woman or maybe he broke his leg and I'd be, you know, pretty much ready to get in my car and start looking for him. And it was just really really, I felt like I was losing a lot of myself. Um, I was losing my memory. So I'd, I'd always, you know, thought of myself as a sharp person, but all of a sudden I couldn't remember people's names. I was going to work and taking notes on in meetings and completely forgetting what was going on in those meetings. So I had, I guess you could say brain fog. I had anxiety. I was really, really tired. And then the hair loss. And then the other thing was, which didn't seem obvious to me at the time was that I was colder than everybody else. I was living in Southern California at the time and I was wearing sweaters to work and all the other ladies were in short sleeves. And I was, I was also sleeping under two blankets in the middle wow. of the summer in pajamas. So. So, so you definitely had a pretty severe case of this. Now for people who aren't familiar with Hashimoto's itself, what is the kind of medical description, but make it relatively easy to to digest? So what what's going on there versus just, oh, I have a thyroid problem, which lots of people have heard about? So basically Hashimoto's is a is an autoimmune condition, which means that the immune system start stops recognizing our own body as ourselves. And in Hashimoto's, the immune system starts to attack our thyroid. And eventually this re this leads to an inability to produce enough thyroid hormone. Um, some of the symptoms, you know, we talked about would be the, the hair loss and then also depression and feeling cold and sluggish and forgetting things. Um, the other interesting thing is that as Hashimoto's first occurs, people will also have transient episodes of hyperthyroid or an overactive thyroid where they'll feel really irritable. They'll feel really anxious. They might have palpitations. They might basically feel like they're going crazy. So I know people that have been hospitalized for, for bipolar disorder, psychosis, panic attacks, and, and all of these things were misdiagnosed because they had Hashimoto's and nobody thought to check their thyroid. Now, the thyroid gland is kind of the energy regulation master control system in the body. So mm-hmm. it, it controls all sorts of things like your temperature, like how quickly even you use calories that come from your food. So if your thyroid's running slowly because your body's attacking it, you might gain weight because, well, you're not using enough food to stay warm, let's say. How how do you know if it's because your body's attacking your thyroid or if it's something else? Because a lot of people just have good old-fashioned thyroid problems that also slow them down and give them the same symptoms. You know, that's a really good question. And the What's interesting is that probably 90 
to 99% of people with thyroid problems in the United States actually have Hashimoto's. They just may not know that they have it. So Synthroid was the number one prescribed medication last year in all of the United States. And most of those people who are on Synthroid have Hashimoto's. It's the number one reason for an underactive thyroid in the United States, in the UK, and most of the countries that add iodine to the salt supply. Uh, you can do a test for Hashimoto's, and it's, it's called um, thyroid peroxidase antibody test, as well as there's a thyro, thyroglobulin antibody test, and that you can abbreviate that as TPO antibodies as well as TG antibodies. And these tests are going to be abnormal for maybe 7 to 10 years before a standard screening test for thyroid dysfunction will pick up that something's off about your thyroid. I've been recommending for years in the anti-aging group that I work with, the Silicon Valley Health Institute, as well as on the blog, that if you have energy and focus problems, that you should get a thyroid panel and not just a normal thyroid panel, but an advanced panel that looks at all the different thyroid hormones. Because if you go to a normal doctor and you say, I'm a little tired, I'm a little fat, I'm a little slow, my brain isn't working very well, they give you a test for TSH which is basically the first thing your body says, hey, I want more thyroid. So the idea is if your thyroid's broken, you'll ask for more TSH. If you have Hashimoto's and your immune system is like attacking your thyroid gland, are you going to see it in your TSH numbers? You'll see it eventually, but sometimes not for seven years. So your Oops. thyroid be under attack for seven to 10 years and your TSH, depending on the day you measure it, might come out a little bit low, might come out a little bit high, or it might come out normal. So, you know, I had been going to doctors year after year complaining about how tired I was, complaining about all of these things. And of course, they said, okay, you're depressed. I'm like, but I'm happy. I, you know, there's there. And then they said, you're maybe you're anemic. And they would run the test um, for TSH. They would run tests for anemia. And they'd say, there's nothing wrong with you. I don't know why you're tired. And, you know, of course, I, I was offered Provigil and Wellbutrin and all of these stimulant drugs to basically keep me awake, but nobody really looked at the deeper cause, which was the Hashimoto's. Yeah, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's as well, which is more unusual for men. Women get it more than men. And lots of men have just general good old fashioned thyroid conditions. And when I realized what was happening, I religiously eliminated everything that triggers autoimmunity that my biohacking research says. And I don't have any antithyroid antibodies anymore. So yes. some people would say that I cured my Hashimoto's. Other people would say, well, you still have it. There's just no sign of it. So what is it? Did I cure my Hashimoto's? Or is it likely that if I went out and like soaked myself in environmental toxic mold and things that cross-react with it, like gluten things along those lines that I would suddenly reemerge with Hashimoto's. What, what's your take on that? You know, I like to say remission. I think remission mm -hmm. is a great word and a great place to be. And, you know, the, the medical world will tell you that there is no cure and that you really can't even put the condition into remission, that lifestyle changes don't matter. But to me, they do matter. And you can have a lifelong remission. Um, and some, some people have been able to to basically eliminate the, the toxins that affect their Hashimoto's and then reintroduce them once they've had some healing and still stay in remission. So it just depends on the person. Wow, I'm, I'm not planning on adding gluten back to my life given that it lowers cerebral blood flow and it causes so many different problems. Like if I was starving to death, I would totally eat gluten, but no, I'm not starving and I'm gonna eat the stuff that makes me kick the most ass and that includes not pissing off my thyroid gland again. I agree with you fully. Yeah. Are you still on thyroid medication yourself? I am. 
So some people are able to regenerate their thyroid tissue um, completely. So once they get their antibodies into the remission state, their thyroid tissue starts to regenerate. So mine has been regenerating very slowly. So I am working actually on my next um, on my next fixed project is the Hashimoto's protocol. And part of that is I'm working on technology that regenerates tissue at a faster rate. Have you tried shining cold lasers on your thyroid? Um, well, so you're giving away some of my research. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I, would, I would hate to do that. I'm sorry. I had no idea that you were doing that. But I will tell you that, that on occasion, I, I might have done that myself. <laughs> and it works. But if you overdo it, you'll like get heart palpitations and feel crappy. By the way, yeah, if, you're listening, if you're listening in your car, I just shined a laser on my thyroid. Not like a pen laser, but a medical laser. So, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder there. Do, do tell what you can tell that's not in your book. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, there's this awesome technology that can regenerate thyroid tissue, and they've done clinical trials on that in, in foreign wow. countries in Brazil. And people have been able to get off of their thyroid medication. So they've done uh, trials of maybe about 100 people at this time. So this is something that... Um, that I'm going to be writing about in greater detail in the next book. Why do all the best clinical trials happen outside the U.S. now? You know, I think there are a lot of laws that pertain to clinical trials, and and they cost a lot of money. So it, it's almost, it you know, it, it's just so hard to get a clinical trial unless you're a big pharmaceutical company that has billions of dollars, unfortunately. In my work in the quantified self realm, back in oh, around 2003, I was with a company that had a stick-on cardiac monitor, and we were you know, it went through to a mobile phone with Bluetooth and would go up to the cloud. This is way before the wristband stuff, like very, very early days. And we ended up doing clinical trials in Singapore, even though it was a Silicon Valley startup because there was just not enough money in the universe <laughs> to do a U.S.-based <laughs> clinical trial. Um, and we're kind of getting off, off the, the edge of Hashimoto's here, but when you talk about new technologies that make such a difference like that, I'm always kind of sad to see that people in the U.S. or even Canada don't always get access to some of the stuff because it's getting pushed out because of this very strong regulatory things that have driven up the cost of healthcare. Like I, I would like to see more technology for healing tissues rather than more drugs become commonplace. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I hope that this technology, you know, I'd love to try to facilitate making this technology more available to, to people in the United States because so many people have thyroid conditions. And, you know, like we said, Synthroid is the best selling drug or it was last year. We'll see what the stats are for this year. I still take a low dose of Synthroid. I take about uh, 44 micrograms uh, in the morning. In your work with autoimmunity, there's all kinds of autoimmunity. Are there other things that you often find in people who have Hashimoto's? So the percentage of people with some autoimmune condition is, what, a third to a half of people with one type of autoimmunity, would you say? I've seen statistics, but I don't know which ones are right. You know, I see so many different statistics out there. And a conservative statistic is to say one in five. But I think there are so many more than just one in five people. When, When you look around... And when you think about all of these new disorders that have been recently classified as autoimmune, so recently I found out that hypertension had autoimmune origins, so elevated blood pressure. And, you know, this was a shock to me, but 
Yeah. It, it's so interesting because some things can have some autoimmune causes and some environmental causes and they just get lumped together where your blood pressure is high. But understanding which of them are autoimmune and which ones aren't is amazing. Um, Tom O'Brien, who I think you've met Tom probably, was on the show earlier. He's uh, the guy who did the Gluten Summit and a, a good friend. When we talk about this, they did this amazing study of military blood. So the military does crazy stuff like store everyone's blood that, they, that they've taken. And then they look at it years later. And someone had the good thinking to go through and look at autoimmune markers in the blood. And they turned, they figured out they could predict things like Alzheimer's and lupus seven to 10 years before they came on just by looking at when the body got turned against itself. So if you have Hashimoto's, do you think it's much more likely that you're also going to have, say, your immune system attacking the lining of your nerves or attacking your pancreas or attacking your brain? Like, Do you have statistics or knowledge of that? Absolutely. So whenever somebody develops one autoimmune condition, they're automatically at risk, at greater risk for developing another condition. And, you know, when I was first diagnosed, that was something that was really scary to me, that I was going to be monitored for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and multiple sclerosis, and that I I was at greater risk for all of those things. And so, you know, you'll see people who don't really take the thyroid very seriously, and they'll say, oh, it's just a thyroid condition. I just... I just need to take some medications or I just need to get my thyroid removed. And then later on, they'll get another autoimmune condition because the immune system continues to be out of balance. And the immune system, you know, autoimmunity is progressive, unfortunately, in many cases. Why is there so much more autoimmunity going on now than before? You know, it's a really complicated, complicated question, but if I had to, I guess if I had to put my money on it, I would, I would link it back to our, the environment of our gut. <laughs> and um, recent research has shown that there are three things that are necessary to develop an autoimmune condition. So you need the genetic predisposition, which, you know, you and I have, and, and a lot of people have the predisposition for, for the different autoimmune conditions. The second part is you need to have some sort of a trigger And the trigger could be something like a viral infection, a bacterial infection. It can be a toxin. So, of course, we have a lot more toxins in our world now than we used to as cavewomen and cavemen. And then the third piece of the puzzle is that we have intestinal permeability. So then somewhere along the lines, um, you know, our intestines really help our immune system develop and grow. And um, when we have the intestinal permeability, then these triggers are able to interact with our genes and cause a, cause a gene expression of the autoimmunity. So um, some, some of the reasons for the intestinal permeability are going to be things like an imbalance of gut bacteria. So now, nowadays, you know, we take lots of antibiotics. We eat a lot of um, starchy foods, which encourage the growth of one type of bacteria. And, um, and we eat a lot of gluten, which, you know, as I'm sure you and Tom had a chance to talk about, causes um, intestinal permeability when people eat it. Do you think that emotional or environmental stress plays a role as well? Like, are people who are, like, under enormous emotional strain when they're exposed to this toxin, are they more likely to get autoimmunity? So, absolutely. And this is really interesting because most autoimmune conditions, uh, science, you know, when you look at 
scientific studies, and I, I love to just scour PubMed for these things, you'll find that most autoimmune conditions will be preceded by a very stressful time in the person's life. Yes. And this is not a surprise. And what happens with um, when, when you have a lot of stress, your secretory IgA, which is something that basically protects your stomach lighting from foreign invaders, that gets depleted. And so then we're at greater risk for, for getting infections that occur in our gut. And um, when you think about, you know, having a really particularly stressful time in your life, a lot of times you feel it in your stomach. So I know um, my uncle got um, in a really bad car accident one day and I found out about it and I just immediately got sick. Um, what's really interesting is that the bacteria in our gut, they, they can sense the expression yeah. of different cytokines. And so it's almost like if you are under a lot of stress, they're kind of hatching a plan to take over and get into your bloodstream and, you know, cause this intestinal permeability. So it's really, really important to, you know, manage your emotions and try to reduce your stressors. And, you know, living in today's world, we're, we're constantly in a state of fight and flight. There may be an amygdala connection. The amygdala is like one of those very primitive brain structures that's responsible for some of the fight or flight and, and the very basic survival things. And one of the very unusual ways of going after multiple chemical sensitivity, these, these times when your immune system is just going wacky, is to actually work on teaching the amygdala to be calm, which is a, a whole different ball of wax. But and also this stuff hasn't been clinically trialed. But I've I've met a couple people now who have gone through you know, many hours of strange meditations around their amygdala, who've had tr transformative immune changes because of what they did to teach their immune systems to be calm. And when I look back on my life, I was constantly in a state of fight or flight, largely because, strangely enough, I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck. And I didn't have like blood flow cut off to my brain or anything. But when you're born thinking there's something choking you, it generally sets you up as an animal <laughs> to be like, oh, my God, this is not a very friendly world I came into. And it's, you know, it, it's a random thing. But none of this is like thinking stuff. This is all very low level immune system. So until I learned how to calm my nervous system, I was in a state of like walking around like everything could kill me. And so I'm like, ready? yeah, you, you know, you want to fight or like, you know, should I get ready to run away? And I think that actually has a lot to do with the fact that I had arthritis at 14 in my knees. And I always had these autoimmune conditions. And plus, I had the good fortune of living in a basement with toxic mold, which really sets up autoimmunity. Do you know much about the correlation between exposure to inhaled spores or toxins and autoimmune conditions? You know, I've seen a lot of people who basically will be triggered. So whether it's asthma or Hashimoto's, they'll be doing great and then they'll be triggered with having mold in their home and then they just suffer all of these serious health consequences as a result. It, so that that is a hu tremendous trigger for people. It's it's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm filming a documentary right now, like I'm producing it. So I'm, I'm in the process of flying around and interviewing experts and finding people who, who've had an experience similar to mine because it's such a problem in homes because not only have we changed our gut biome, we've changed the biome in our homes and in our soil. So the bacteria and more in this case, the fungi and yeast, they've actually started making more toxins that tend to trigger this kind of thing. And there's some toxins will cross react with the thyroid stuff, some with your pituitary gland, which is like one step up from the thyroid. 
and some even with the hypothalamus. And if you're uh, thinking like a biohacker and you get to know some of the, these control systems in the body, it's like the hypothalamus influences the pituitary, which influences the thyroids, which influences the adrenals. And it's such an amazing complex system. But we as humans want to hack this to get control of our system to make it work the way it's supposed to work. But there's these external factors, these molds in the environment that are also hacking them and turning on autoimmunity. And the bacteria in your gut are like, no, no, we want to be in charge to make sure that this bag of meat that we live in always does what we want. So it's like there's all these different factors trying to make your body do stuff. And for me, I'm like, I just want to be in charge of this body. And I'd be so pleased. What are the things people who don't have Hashimoto's might consider doing so that they can stay in a high performance zone? If they don't have Hashimoto's, I would look at, you know, trying to figure out what you're, what's working for you and what's not working for you. So figuring out what makes you happy, what makes you stressed out, and really looking at those things in, in a way that um, you figure out what you're good at and do more of that and try to outsource what you're not good at. So I know, you know, with myself, I've never been very good at cleaning <laughs> and uh, Ever since I was a little tiny girl, my mom would always tell me, you need to clean better, you need to clean better, you need to clean better. And I used to spend hours and hours of my life just trying to clean. And I just, just you know, was never my thing and I never enjoyed it. But I was, I was really good at researching. So I, you know, had somebody, I eventually got somebody to help me clean and I was able to dedicate, you know, an extra 10 hours a week to researching. And that really helped my performance because I was able to figure out and hack my autoimmune condition that way. Imagine if instead you had just spent all of that extra time cleaning and hired someone to do research. (laughs) Nothing would have happened because (laughs) it wouldn't have been you. So I think you made the right choice there. So, So your advice for people who want to remain healthy and not turn on autoimmunity is manage stress and have and, and basically don't spend your basically don't throw yourself against a brick wall if you're not good at stuff. Um, fo- focus your time on the things that you love. Any other advice for people who want to not have their body attack itself? Yeah, you know, I would say definitely the stress component and try to try to live um, in agreement with your body. So try to figure out what kind of foods your body likes. You know, your body will tell you right away if it's not happy about something that you're eating. So whether you get, if you have acid reflux, if you had irritable bowel syndrome, if you have acne, those are all signs from your body that something that you're feeding it is not agreeing with you. So, um, you know, for example, nuts used to make me go nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I would, um, every time I would eat nuts, I would um, have really terrible PMS and I would break out. I'd have these hormonal breakouts. And then I figured out that it was all the almonds I was eating. And so eventually, you know, I was, I figured out what my kryptonite was. I had really terrible acid reflux from, from eating dairy because of the casein. I was very severely reactive to it. So doing things like that will help you feel tremendously better. It, it's funny that you chose the kryptonite word there. Uh, was that intentional or just in my, I don't know if, if you've seen it, but in the new Bulletproof Diet book, I actually have kryptonite foods there on the Bulletproof Diet infographic where I'm like, look, these foods cause trouble for most people and these foods are maybe kryptonite, maybe not, depending on who you are. And then these foods generally work for most people and they cause better performance. So I, I love the way you think about that. Yeah, that's exactly how I think. And, and you know, I always say that this is my kryptonite. So gluten's my kryptonite. It's something that I stay away from. Yeah. You know, you didn't see Superman trying to 
trying to, um, you know, take more and more kryptonite and trying to fight against it. So, and that, and that's what I think a lot of people are doing nowadays. They're doing things that um, they maybe deep down, they know that they're not good for them, but they just keep doing it. So whether it's going to a job that you hate, sitting in traffic for an hour, trying to get somewhere, being in a relationship that is, is you know, not conducive, not, not working for you, people put themselves in these situations because they think they, they need to be a certain way or they need to, you know, everybody eats pizza. So what would I, what would happen if I stopped eating pizza? And you really need to be in charge of yourself. Like you said, don't, don't let the, don't let other people and don't let the microbes around you control you take charge of your own health. Imagine if like, Lois Lane, Superman's girlfriend, had a little kryptonite ring and was like, oh, I have some kryptonite air, air freshener and sprayed a little bit around the house and some kryptonite little other thingies. I'll put one in the car. And all of a sudden Superman's like, man, I, I feel bad a lot of the time and I have no idea why. And I, I kind of think that a lot of people who aren't just feeling full of energy all the time, by the way, that's most people I talk to now. Like there's like, I don't feel good sometimes and I don't know why. And there's these little things, but Superman could be like, well, Maybe it's the ring, which would be unlikely, but he's like, okay. So he, he says, well, no, that's not it because I got rid of the ring and still it happens some of the time. So it's multi multifactorial. There's multiple things. And in my experience, if you want to really hack how you feel, the only legitimate way to do it is to eliminate everything you can think of that's likely inhibiting your performance. See how amazing you feel and then add them back in and see which ones knock you off. And some of them can take like four or even 10 days in really rare extremes. So if you try something on Friday, you might feel fine for two days and then feel bad another couple days later. Why do you know why it takes that long for us to get that feedback for things that are making us weak? So in terms of foods, you know, some of us have heard of, a lot of us have heard of food allergies mm -hmm. and there's, um, you know, that's an anaphylactic reaction where your throat swells up, you can't breathe, you get hives. And, you know, think of the movie, My Girl, and when the boy gets bit, stung by a bee, that, that's the anaphylactic reaction. And that's one part of your immune system called the IgE response. But there are other kinds of responses that your immune system makes. And the one for food sensitivities, which is, you know, what we're talking about here is the IgG response. So this is a different branch of the immune system and that can take a few days to manifest. So that's not going to be immediate. And the symptoms you're going to see are not going to be, you know, that anaphylactic reaction. I can't breathe. I, I'm choking. You know, I, I, um, I'm getting rashes all over. So you're going to see mild symptoms, sometimes severe symptoms. So I know for me, um, you know, like dairy caused me to have acid reflux and cough and a burning sensation in my gut. Gluten caused a lot of tingling. So I had, um, I had bilateral carpal tunnel, so I had double hand braces because. Oh my god, I did too. That's so weird. It, it, there's you nothing. Had that too? Yeah, I used to like have to drive with these two like blue braces on. It was the dorkiest thing ever. This is like, God, it's going back to like the mid '90s. Yeah, it's gone now. But okay, yeah. sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But that's totally surprising. Okay. Yeah, I had that within you know within two two months of getting off of gluten, my my carpal tunnel went away, and then. With, um, with the dairy, it took me three, I had this acid reflux for three years. So I pretty much slept upright. I um, wow. had really bad coughing. I would be talking to somebody at the pharmacy, telling them how to use their medications. And then I'd say, excuse me. And I'd start coughing and go, you know, puke in the back. Like it wow. was really, really bad. And seriously, after getting off of dairy, after three days off of gluten and dairy, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> 
what happened to my chronic cough and acid reflux. And I had, you know, I had stacks of Tums. I had been on proton pump inhibitors. I was taking Pepsid. I was doing, you know, I wasn't drinking, um, I wasn't eating any tomatoes. I wasn't drinking any wine. And I was just trying to do everything that, you know, they, that my gastroenterologist told me to do. And I just, I just was miserable. But yeah, you know, some people will eliminate one thing. So I'll say, I'll hear somebody that says, you know, I got off of gluten and I still have all of those symptoms. Well, it's not always just the gluten. Sometimes you might have multiple food sensitivities. So gluten, dairy, soy, eggs, nightshades, nuts, and seeds um, are some of the most common foods that can cause you reactions. Um, Some people might also have really strange reactions. So I was really sensitive to pineapple out of all things. And, um, you know, one thing you can do is do an elimination diet where you just eat really clean for two weeks and then you'll introduce one food at a time. So, you know, maybe on day one, you introduce eggs and then you wait four days and then you'll introduce um, dairy and then you wait four days. And the other thing I like to recommend and, um, you know, I had read about the gluten-free diet for about a year and about the dairy-free diet for six months. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it next week. Okay, I'm going to do it next week. And, you know, I just, there was never a really great time to start. So I actually got food sensitivity testing. Yeah, I recommend uh, that for people who can afford it, yeah. For people that can afford it, it's um, the one lab I like is called Test Lab, and it's IgG testing. How do you spell that? A-L-L-E-T-E-S-S. And, um, and, you know, it, basically I got my test results in black and white and they said, you're reacting to pineapple, you're reacting to cashews, you're reacting to gluten and dairy. And then, you know, it took that years of hesitation of, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Should I do it? Should I not do it? You know, for me, it really helped to see it in black and white. And that was really what made me take that plunge. But you could save yourself a lot of money if you just do an elimination diet. So back in uh, the, the mid-90s when I was working on hacking a lot of this, I did exhaustive elimination diets, but they're very complex, require a lot of tracking, and they take months to do right because you know for this amount of time, you don't have foods from this category. And, oh, wait, was the artichoke cart? Was that okay? And <sighs> what I, I did because a lot of the, the things that have transformed my body and turned my brain on and just enabled me to do some of the things I've been able to do, they're not accessible to a lot of people including testing that runs about three or 400 bucks for food sensitivity panels. There's a free app. It's called food sense and I put it out there and it's not as good as a full allergy panel, but we've got about 50,000 people using it now and more every day. It's on the iPhone only. And yes, it's coming for Android soon. Um, There's a whole development team working on it, but what it's doing is it's looking at the change in heart rate before and after Mm -hmm. meal. And you probably know about this because of your training, but your heartbeat will go up by 16 beats per minute within 90 minutes of a meal if something in the meal was kryptonite for you. It doesn't mean it's going to tell you what it was, but if you're like, every time I put pineapple or almonds in my meal, I get this response, then pretty soon you can zoom in. So it's faster than an elimination diet, and it lets you check whether that restaurant actually put MSG in the meal when they said they didn't if you're sensitive to MSG and things like that. Um, so I, I want to bring this knowledge because my experience of the world is that when I sit down at dinner and I look around me and I look at people, you can spot the ones with autoimmune conditions because their faces are a little bit puffy or their skin's bad. Like, oh, I don't have an autoimmune condition, but I have had this rash for like 10 years. I'm like, yeah, that's would be autoimmunity towards your skin. So it's an endemic problem. 
And I know very few people who are walking around like, I'm in great, amazing shape. I feel good all the time. And for those people, I'm like, I really, really think your grandma kicked ass because that's how you got those genes. And if you want to swap genes, I'm down. Otherwise, though, like for the rest of us, how are we going to do all the cool stuff we could do without knowing when we're, you know, sniffing kryptonite? Any any thoughts on other stuff people can do if they don't want to trigger autoimmunity uh, besides eliminate stress and, you know, don't eat trigger foods? I mean, you're, you're writing books about this. Uh, any other thoughts? Like, I want to know. Maybe I'm not doing all the stuff I could do. And if people are driving... I don't want to cause paranoia either, but it's a major issue for people. Uh, so what are the other avoid things or the other do things on your kind of list of importance? You know, just trying to live a much cleaner lifestyle. So there's a lot of, um, and, you know, this really upsets me, but, you know, how they put all of these um, things in our plastics and, and all of these, you know, they put fluoride in our waters and in our toothpaste. And, and there's so many different endocrine disruptors um, within our, you know, everyday life. So, so using, you know, BPAs in our plastics, they, they can cross react with thyroid tissue. Um, there are, um, you know, halogens, halogenated kind of compounds. So, you know, bromine that, that is added to our breads that can cross react with thyroid tissue. And all of there are a lot of these different things in processed foods in, um, you know, like air fresheners, um, there's, that can actually cross-react with thyroid tissue. So a lot of our shampoos with all kinds of gunk and junk in them, you know, they can cause you problems. So I know that I was using just every product known to man because I was reading these, you know, magazines that were telling me that I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't smart enough and I needed to buy every single shampoo to make myself much better. And we end up, you know, the average woman ends up with so much stuff in her bathroom, you know, I, I don't know what the average is. I think something like a hundred or 200 items. I recently read an article about that. And, um, you know, we're, we're putting all this chemistry on ourselves and we're absorbing it. And so, um, you know, you're really looking at all of that stuff you're putting on your skin is getting into your bloodstream. So that that's basic pharmacology is, you know, you're going to absorb that and it's going to bypass the liver. So it's going to go directly into your bloodstream and, and that can cross react with your with your thyroid tissues and that can cause damage. So I really recommend, you know, using organic products on your body um, and um, trying not to use toxic cleaning supplies, using a, a water filter, a reverse osmosis filter to try to get down your levels of fluoride in your water, as well as doing a fluoride-free toothpaste. Because that um, fluoride actually used to be used to suppress yeah. thyroid function back in the day. So before they invented drugs, for hyperthyroidism, they used to give people fluoride. Now, you're advocating this for people who are in general good health, not just people who are sick and have Hashimoto's. I absolutely do, because I think we need to have a balance in life. And, and you know, we just get bombarded with chemistry on a daily basis. So, you know, whether that's from, you know, from the car exhaust outside or from the new plastic bed you have in your house, you know, there's all of these different things that are that are coming at you, and the greener you can live, the the better off you'll be. And I, and I'm not suggesting everybody walk around in, you know, barefoot and you know live somewhere in the forest, but you can definitely clean up starting with your house, starting within your your sleeping space. So you know you you spend a lot of time in your home sleeping, and you're think about what you're inhaling, think about what you're putting on your body. 
Yeah, I recommend people spray extra flame retardants on their mattress and douse their bedrooms in uh, fabric softener and other, you know, chemical like synthetic perfumes. Yeah. Febreze, yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, the, the flame retardants in... Um, so really great thing for people that smoke in bed, right? So they put these flame retardants in our bed, in our beds, in our mattresses. so that Especially babies, because babies smoke in bed all the time. That's why Absolutely. baby mattresses are soaked in this stuff. Right. And so if you drop a cigarette on your bed, you're not going to catch on fire, which is wonderful. But for most of us that are health conscious and that don't smoke, we're actually getting exposed to the chemicals in that. And unfortunately, they do cross-react with thyroid tissue as well. So exposure to those chemicals specifically has been found to, um, you know, as a potential trigger for, for autoimmune thyroid disease. So, so in case people didn't catch my sarcasm there, uh, obviously all of those things are bad that I just mentioned. And I didn't know that the flame retardants cross-reacted to trigger thyroid autoimmunity. I do know that they reduce fertility and that they have a chance of reducing infant intelligence. Uh, that was something that we wrote about in the Better Baby book. And so it, it sounds weird. You're like, okay, I'm a relatively healthy man or woman and I'm feeling pretty good, but I want to feel better. I want to do more. And the degree of flame retardant chemicals in your mattress is a variable that's invisible to you. And if let's say you're feeling really good and all of a sudden you get fired or there's a death in the family or an emotional stressor happens that you're not expecting and you get a viral infection and now you've got this other invisible thing in your mattress. Well, maybe that's enough to push you over that limit where your immune system's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to town on you. And then turning that off can take an enormous amount of time. And that's a, kind of a trivial example, but that's the reason that Isabella and I are both talking about taking basic steps to have a cleaner environment increases resilience. What, what other hints might you have besides kind of clean environment, emotions, avoiding trigger foods? I know I'm digging deep here. Like those are three big categories. Anything else floating around out there that comes to mind for you? You know, um, clean eating. And the other thing I recommend is for people to invest in themselves and invest in their health. So doing things, you know, I, I see women all the time and I used to be one of them that would spend, you know, $500 on a pair of shoes or $1,000 on a new purse. And then, you know, it's, it's good for one season, then it goes out of style, then you don't use it anymore where, you know, you're going to have the digestive system that you, that you have now for the rest of your life. So if you have any of these symptoms like acid reflux or irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, slight joint pains, or if, if you're not feeling well, if you're feeling off, you know, you're not feeling 100% of your game, I would encourage you to do some functional medicine testing. So looking at, looking at your gut. So um, I recommend doing, actually, and this is kind of embarrassing for some people, but it's, it's very important, is doing stool testing to see yep. what kind of level of good bacteria versus bad bacteria you have, as well as if you have something growing inside of you that can potentially disrupt your intestinal lining. So there are different pathogens that may sort of sit dormant for five to seven years. Eventually they'll cause IBS and eventually that will lead to autoimmunity. So, you know, the, the common story is somebody will have um, a period of high stress and then they have food poisoning or they have this bout of, you know, really bad diarrhea. They, they just feel really crappy for a day or two or three, sometimes longer. And then everything kind of comes back to normal. They feel pretty good, you know, for, for five to 10 years. And all of a sudden they, they maybe have another period of stress and all of a sudden they start getting 
you know, um, joint pains, or they might start getting IBS and all of these little subtle things that you don't really take seriously. And, you know, uh, the, the pathogens, they can actually cause intestinal permeability. I think a lot of people will say, you know, you have, um, you have these, we're using parasites to, to help reduce autoimmunity or modulate the immune system. And you hear these very common headlines in the news. And I think that's really cool, but you have to keep in mind that that's just one type of pathogen. So just like there are good bacteria and bad bacteria, there are good parasites and bad parasites. And, and some of them can cause intestinal permeability. Some of them can help heal your gut and help protect your gut. So knowing what's growing inside of you, I think is something that is really, really important and looking at preventing yeah. before it develops into something further. So um, IBS is something that precedes autoimmunity for five to seven years, sometimes 10. I know I had IBS. I got IBS around age 21. And then all of a sudden it was just a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And of course, you know, you think, oh, I'm stressed out. I'm in school. I've got all these things going on. I'm not going to I'm not going to worry about that. But yeah, you should be worried about it if you if there's something off about you right now, because that's, um, you know, you're, let's talk about prevention. It's so much easier to prevent the damage on your thyroid than it is to, to grow a thyroid back. Very well said. Yeah, unless you've got a laser, that's right. <laughs> uh, we are on the brink of a whole bunch of new technologies that change the way cell membranes work, the way cells regenerate, the way signaling molecules work. And it, it's probably the most exciting time for, I don't even know if you can call this medicine, electrical medicine, I don't know what to call it, but I have this fascinating collection of devices, half of which probably the FDA has never even heard of, but that people somewhere have made and sent me and, and whatnot. And I've found there's things that, that are possible that shouldn't be possible according to traditional things. So I'm, I couldn't be more excited to read your next book when you talk about making things happen that Really, it's not a drug. It's not just an exercise, but it's a device that took control of some of parts of your body and made things happen. We're coming up on the end of the show, Isabella, and there's a question that I ask everyone on the show and one I'm really interested to hear what you what you say for. The question is, given everything you know, not just in your books or whatnot, but your whole life experience, your top three pieces of advice for people who want to perform better. So if you want to kick more ass, do these three things. I don't mean perform athletically, just perform in life, whatever it is you're here to do. You know, find your kryptonite, like you're saying. So basically figure out what's causing you harm and what's making you happier, what's making you less happier. You could just start off by going with a list, making a list and, set, and say, makes me feel better, makes me feel worse. So whether that's toxic people, whether that's cleaning your house, whether that's your job, Whatever is making you unhappy, it's okay to let it go. If you if the news makes you stressed out, let it go. So right. um, so the second thing would be really investing in yourself. So take some money that you would spend on a nice purse, on a nice pair of shoes, and and do some of this functional medicine testing. And you know if there's something off about you, make sure that you um, you invest in yourself. And then the third thing is really do all the knowledge to take charge of your own health. So learn as much as you can and don't let somebody else tell you that there's nothing wrong with you, that you're a hypochondriac or that you don't deserve to get better or that you shouldn't have, that you should feel guilty because, you know, other people are starving and, and all you have is a little bit of, of weight gain or a little bit of a rash. So, you know, take charge of your health and don't let anybody else tell you that you can't get better. And, and I guess the third would be find somebody that, you know, 
who's as weird as you and that you can share the, your passions with them and, and just really um, somebody who appreciates you for you. That just makes life so much easier than trying to be, um, you know, trying to be somebody else or trying to please somebody else, somebody who gets you. I think, you know, that makes life so much better. That's classic. And about 130 episodes, there's common themes, but find someone as weird as you is not a common theme. So that's a way cool, way cool one. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella, where can people learn about your existing books, uh, any new projects you're working on? Where can they catch up with you about your work? So they can go to thyroidpharmacist.com and I have a blog that I update on a weekly basis and I have uh, lots of research on Hashimoto's and autoimmunity in general and how to live a better life that you can find there. And, um, and, and I have a book that's available on Amazon. It's the longest title in the whole world. It's Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause, which I guess at least the title is self-explanatory. So it's, it's about finding out your triggers and eliminating them so you can put yourself in remission. So if you went to Amazon and you typed thyroid Isabella, you'd probably find it. And that's with a Z, I-Z-A-B-E-L-L-A, right? Absolutely. So if you type thyroid, it'll come up too. Beautiful. So it'll be like the first or second book. Isabella, thanks again for joining the show today all the way from Amsterdam. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If you're looking for a way to know which foods are making you weak, check out the free app called Bulletproof Food Sense. You do this before a meal and you do it after a meal a couple times. And based on changes in your heart rate, the application can help you to identify which foods are causing an immune response in your body. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.